Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking the California state budget. Now, it won't be sleepy. It will be exciting because we want to know stuff like, what the hell's going on with high-speed rail? And how are we going to pay for safe drinking water all over the state? And how much of your tax is going to go up? We have an expert to talk about it. It's the czar of the budget committee in the assembly, Assemblyman Phil Ting of San Francisco, Talking money, budget, and taxes next on It's All Political. So, I mean, Phil Ting, welcome to It's All Political. Well, it's great to be here. All right. So, we were both at the State of the State for because we had to. You were both of our job descriptions. <laughs> That's right. What, what was your take on this? Uh, did you, uh, the, it was a, 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 it was a newsier speech than most. State of the states usually state of the state is like a laundry list of stuff, but there was some news made. What did you What did you take on that? Well, I thought it was interesting because Go- Governor Brown was always very focused, and he liked to be short. So yes. the shorter, the better. In fact, there there was one year where we thought the lieutenant governor's speech uh, back then, lieutenant governor Newsom's speech, yes. was actually longer than Governor Brown's speech, which is very interesting. Um, so obviously, this is a very different approach where Governor Brown probably really focused on one, two, or three things. Uh, Governor Newsom laid out a fairly ambitious agenda touching on the hot issues of the day, whether it was water, high-speed rail, uh, drinking water, um, housing, homelessness, the border. So really, really everything that probably is top of mind, but also top of mind politically. Some of these things people think about, other things are really things that we have been grappling with in Sacramento. And he laid out an ambitious agenda to really tackle everything. Did you think that was, he thought that the headlines today were high-speed rail is over, high-speed rail is scaled back, whatever you wanted to do, no matter what the take was. Do you think that's what he thought the headline was going to well, be? Well, I, I think he started with um, water, water in particular for agriculture and high-speed rail as a um, as a nod to the valley. The valley, the Central Valley always feels neglected in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And he had spent us quite a bit of time down there talking to people, listening to people. Mm-hmm. And so those two things I know made my valley colleagues extraordinarily happy. I don't think he anticipated um, the reaction from the Bay Area, his his hometown. Obviously, he was instrumental in making sure we have a Transbay terminal. We built the Transbay terminal to have high-speed rail dock in it. And, right. it's, and it's built like it is right now for high-speed rail, to welcome high-speed rail. So I don't think he anticipated quite that reaction. When, when I talked to him afterwards, he and actually when I talked to my budget staff afterwards, I think my budget staff were probably the only people who really understood what, what he said. What, what he actually said is that he was going to accelerate the project. He was going to extend that line to Merced because the extension to Merced wasn't going to happen until later. Um, it's only about 16-mile extension. So he was going to go Bakersfield and then before it got to Merced, turn left and go to San Jose. So what he's saying is it's going to go to Merced. And what they're going to do is they're going to start running that service. Before, the service wasn't going to run until till everything got installed to mm-hmm. San Jose. So they're going to run the Bakersfield to Merced service. At the same time, they're going to do all the environmental work and really plan all the work to get to San Jose. So, I mean, the the question is for those of us, two questions for those of us who live in the Bay Area, especially in, in your district. So now we have this multi-billion dollar transit center, a big hole in the ground. Um, is that, did we just build like a $2 billion bus station, or is are we no actually going to see no high-speed yeah. high speed rail there? Well, well two, two things, right? The, the high-speed rail plan was always to electrify Caltrain. 
So, so we have that. So we need to build the extension from Fourth and King into the Transbay Terminal. And by electrifying Caltrain, which is already is a rail line, there is a plan to do that. And on top of it, we've been raising money to do the downtown extension. That's what it's called. When we did Regional Measure 3, which is currently being sued, but passed by the voters, but currently being sued to raise tolls, there was money in there for the downtown extension. There's there's going to be there's money in there from the high-speed rail project for the downtown extension. When we when we're looking at more transportation funding, there's that's one of the first projects that's top of mind to make sure that we have enough money to build that extension from 4th and King into the Transbay Terminal. So realistically, when could we see expect to see a valley to valley, Central Valley to Silicon Valley, and San Francisco included service? Well, well the time frame I <clears throat> I believe it was supposed to be completed by 2022. Uh, obviously, I don't think it's going to be. Gonna I, I, don't, I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be happening. Um, one, one thing people to understand is the reason that there's these cost overruns and delays isn't because of the engineering or the construction work. The main delays are the uh, procedures to actually take the land between Fresno to San Jose, mm. and, and you're going through private property. And so what, what's happened is during the last few years, there's been a lot of litigation. There's been a lot of contention over these private property rights, which is which is reasonable because if someone was trying sure, to take yeah. our land, of course, you'd have a certain, certain reaction to it. So again, the, the delays are not driven by government bureaucracy or by uh, construction it primarily is due to the land acquisition process, which so, is quite So extensive. when do you think it really, I mean, you talked 2030? You know, I haven't talked to Brian Kelly to, to know exactly when the time frame is coming. I, I, I'm turned out before 2024. I, I would be, uh, I would <laughs> be pleasant. your problem. I, no, I would be ecstatic <laughs> if, if we could, if, you know, before I was turned out that we could, we could have the valley to valley train. Yeah. And I think, you know, ju- ju- just to ma- make sure we hammer the point home, it's yeah. so important because the irony is the Central Valley has a dearth of jobs. Yeah. And, and the Bay Area has a dearth of housing. So if you actually could get from Fresno to San Jose in an hour, in one hour, like without traffic, right? You could see that really transforming. Frankly, both of those cities, absolutely. And they're already. Uh, I met a tech entrepreneur who started his company in Fresno. Decided, moved out of the valley, went went to Fresno to start the company. And if you talk to the former mayor of um, uh, Fresno, Ashley Swergen, right? A Republican, and a Republican who, you know, when she was talking about their reimagined downtown plan, it sounded just like San Francisco: infill housing, transit, buses, bikes. Because they realized they just built out way too far, yeah, and, and it's just not feasible and it's not containable. So they were looking; they're going to redevelop their downtown and make it significantly more dense and try to create a certain downtown vibrancy. So what do you, like if you're Newsom and if you're uh, people who promoted uh, Prop uh, 1A, or I guess it was back in the high-speed rail back in 2008, was it 53% of the voters voted yes? And they voted for $9.9 billion bond in bonds to build a rail line from San Francisco to LA. What do we, are, do we get ripped off or what? No, I mean, it's, it's t- like I said, it's typical. There are always an anticipated cost. Anytime you do construction, especially a construction project that th- that's this big. So, you know, I recently rode the high-speed rail again in China. Uh, that, bu- that train went from Beijing to Shanghai. When I first rode a Beijing to Shanghai train in 1991, it took 24 hours. It was the the slow train to Shanghai. Now, I got on that train with my family over the holidays, and mm-hmm. it was four and a half hours, same 1,000 miles. 
and wow. it goes over 200 miles an hour. The, the, the reason it's much more efficient there is they, they, have, a, they have a communist government, and right. when people, when they have a project and the project's been designed, they just tell people to move. They yeah. force people to move. Now, that's not the system we have. That isn't the system that we'd want to have. So obviously, there is a lot more uncertainty anytime we do these large projects. So, so again, uh, I don't think people got ripped off at all. It's just that pri- people have private property rights. We're preserving those private <clears throat> property rights. So at the same time, that takes time to negotiate. The uh, Newsom also said that he is scaling back another one of Governor Brown's uh, legacy projects, if you will, the Delta Tunnels. From two tunnels to one tunnel he'd like to focus on. What does that mean to us in the Bay Area? Well, you know, talking to the um, San Francisco PUC, there was always a lot of concern that the Twin Tunnels was going to really adversely impact Hetch Hetchy, take away water. I know from everybody in Northern California, um, and, and I say that broadly, so it's not just the Bay Area, but Northern California, Sacramento, et cetera, the tunnels were, were seen as this very big water steal. So we were all very concerned. Uh, we were worried also about the environmental impacts on the Delta and what that would actually do to fish, birds, the actual physical Delta itself. So to have it scale back to only one tunnel, my hope is that in taking a hard look at that, that that the environmental impact will be significantly less, and frankly, that we're not going to be losing significant amount of water. And uh, Governor Newsom also said that uh, in his State of the State address uh, yesterday, as we're recording this, um, one million Californians woke up today with unsafe drinking water, and most of those folks um, with unsafe drinking water live in the southern San Joaquin Valley and the Mojave mm-hmm. Desert. So one way he's proposing to, get, to help get out of this is with a water tax. And it's kind of complicated, though. And Very complicated. And you, as the budget czar of the assembly, they're a very powerful position. I want to get your take on this because this is going to be some tough politics because you're you, the, you're asking wealthier areas, the coastal areas, That's right. to with, pay for with clean water with clean water to pay for something um, that is going to help folks in in poorer parts of the state. Uh, absolutely, um, but um, there's also that sometimes they don't explain the dynamics of that because that's kind of because well, sometimes they question. don't they don't want uh, and of course the tax would be on everybody and people in the more conservative parts of the area, which is generally the poorer parts, are don't want taxes raised. So, so what's ironic, so Senator Bill Monning from Monterey has been working on this issue for about two years. Assemblymember Richard Bloom in my, in my house from Santa Monica, I've been working with him. And the, the issue is, just to tell the listeners, yeah. the issue is, is you have agricultural areas. They have used pesticides. That pesticides, the pesticide use has been so large, it's infiltrated into the water system. Mm-hmm. So not only can they not drink it, people can't even bathe in it. So you have a huge amount of people in Tulare County, like you said, Imperial County, who don't have access to clean drinking water, or some of them can't even bathe in this water. So the ultimate irony is you, you, there, was a, there was a tax proposed that ag was going to have to pay a piece of it, but it was actually a fairly, fairly small piece relative to everybody else, and then the cost was going to be spread really all around the state. But if you think about it, all the folks with clean drinking water, like we, we have Hetch Hetchy, and we, we took... We took measures after our big earthquake to build Hetch Hetchy and to have clean drinking water. But we were, you know, we were going to have to bear that cost. Ag was going to only have to bear a small piece of the cost. And here's the, here's the ultimate irony. All the assembly members and the senators from those areas weren't supporting the proposal. 
So even and, the, and why was that? Because well, because they tax. They, they don't. Because they, they, they don't. They don't like taxes. They don't like fees. Mm. So so that was the that that I think that's really where the the challenge was is trying to you know I I was thinking well why am I supporting this to help another community when, when they're not even willing to support it themselves. Right. Now having said that I know. San Franciscans, we, we got a big heart, so people actually do want sure. to make sure that everybody has clean drinking water. So if that means paying a little bit more, I don't think people have a problem with it. But it's, it's unfortunate there's a complete lack of leadership from a lot of the Valley members, especially on the Republican side, to not work together to find a solution, even though they would be the biggest beneficiaries, even those their constituents who are really not having. But this power. would require a two-thirds majority. Vote. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. uh, it's a new tax. So, are there the votes to get this? Not right now. No, really. And, and, and we've been we've been working on it for two years, even with the Democratic supermajority. Ab- absolutely, enough. because wow. for for us, um, you you want to make it a bipartisan proposal, especially when the areas affected are primarily Republican areas. Mm-hmm. So again, um, from a political point of view, we don't we don't want to get slammed for being, you know, the the tax and spend liberals that are helping out the Central Valley when all the Central Valley members duck and hide on this issue. Mm. Um, the, another thing about the, the speak of sharing the wealth, uh, Newsom in his state of the state, this was a surprise to me. He said the California should be able to share the wealth that is created from their data, and the you know we when we go on social media, or mm-hmm. even if we don't go on social media, we, a lot of our data is out there, a lot of our personal information, preferences, et cetera, et cetera. So he said his staff is looking into developing a proposal for a data dividend, mm-hmm. he calls it. At, do you, uh, How would this work, and, and, and is this so doable? I, I, I first heard of um, this idea from a friend of mine who's starting a company to try to help individuals like all of us find a way to make money off our data. Almost like the way we have property, right? If someone yeah. rents your home, you make money. So if someone is using your data to make money, then you get a piece of that. And so um, I think it's it's an idea that's in its very nascent stages. But the idea is that our, our data is very valuable, which which is true. If you look at you know how much money Google made and how much money Facebook made, I think Facebook made twenty two billion dollars last year, grossed, and Google made thirty. So that's primarily based on data aggregation. Every, every time you, you Google somebody's name, you can see there are companies that have aggregated that data to tell you where they live, what their phone numbers are, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of, uh, do they have any criminal records, do they have any liens, all that right. stuff. And, and that's about your data ag- aggregation. And that, that's our, all of our information. And I think the idea is that that's really our information that is our right. It's almost like we have title to that. And so if someone wants to use it, they should really pay to rent that or use that. So would that be, I mean, do you, I mean, as you say, it's, it's in its infancy now. It's just like, this is one of those new, some big ideas, you know, that we don't know if this becomes something or if this is just like a, oh, that's an interesting idea that we talk about late at night. Um, so would this, would we get like a, um, a check from Google? Like, oh, uh, Joe Garofoli, you, uh, you know. Possibly. I think, I think the way, you know, when I, when I was talking to my friend a few months ago about how they, they were thinking about it, it it was trying to figure out how, how to sort of, um, sign people up, and maybe there's maybe you maybe you sign up, and they're like an intermediary that manages mm. your data before it goes out. Okay, but but it's but it's so challenging now. We have so much of our data already out there. Yeah, it's like what do we? That, yeah. it's, it's hard to kind of like go collect it back. Right, and it's hard to. We have almost zero leverage in this game, Correct. unless it's the the strong arm of the legislature can come down. 
Well, we, we'll, it'll be interesting to see um, how it works out. It's, it's an idea, like I said, that's in its very infancy. Yeah. Um, the, you know, and, and as someone who represents that. a lot of tech companies here in the city, also, uh, are you con- what are you are you concerned about the effect that it may have as inhibiting the growth of like startups and such? Do you think is there are there concerns about that? Well, I, not 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 as not as much at this point. Now again. The, the idea was another startup company. So this could actually create other startup companies that are sort of aggregating and managing people's data and, mm. and helping pay for that. So it, I, I think I think there's constant room for innovation. I think it's always a delicate balance in terms of the legislature right. getting involved and setting a set of rules and laws. Yeah. So obviously we have to proceed pretty pretty cautiously. Okay. Um, we have we still have roughly $21 billion surplus in the budget, correct? So when you heard Newsom's uh, laundry list of ideas yesterday, did you are your are your is your head are you, are you are you slapping your forehead like oh my god how are we gonna pay for this stuff? Are well, we, well, no, he, you, walk, he, let me, we just walked through a couple of things that he wants, and we we've talked about this before. He wants to expand Medi-Cal to every Californian up to twenty six. He wants the uh, to expand the earned income credit the tax credit to a million people, million more people. He talks about uh, expanding paid family leave, universal preschool, free ca- community college. A puppy for everybody, steak and lobster Thursdays. What's I mean? He so, thought. Or so, maybe I made up the last. So, so, so a couple of things. The, the free we pay for all that. Yeah. Yes. So, um, the free community college to people in their second year. We already we already did free already. community college for their first year. It's fifty million dollars ongoing. So it's not it's not a huge amount of cost relative to. The, the state budget. The Medi-Cal expansion to 26-year-olds was a, a proposal that the Assembly offered last year. We, we tried to get it into the budget last year, so we're very supportive of it. That costs about $250 million. So it's well short of going universal uh, Medi-Cal access or universal health care, but it's a great big first step. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, the other proposals that he talked about, many of which were just a rehash of what he already had proposed in his budget. He didn't put universal preschool or universal early education for four-year-olds in the budget, but again, took a big step there. One of the hindrances for universal preschool is many of the public schools don't have the space for kindergarten or preschool. Mm. Not not every uh, district even offers full-day kindergarten. San Francisco does, but say Sacramento, they only offer half-day kindergarten because mm-hmm. they don't have enough space. So the, so we put, so, the, so Governor Newsom proposed $750 million in the budget for capital for districts to build out classrooms so that we could move toward that. So mm-hmm. so again, many of these are aspirations that we've all been talking about. We, we've all been talking, we've been, you know, universal health care has been a talking point for 40 years for the Democratic right. Party. It's no, nothing new. Um, universal early education, he talked about that when he was mayor in San Francisco. These are all things that we continue to aspire to. I'm I'm working on it. I'm working with the bill uh, that kept my colleague Kevin McCarty from uh, Sacramento is authoring around universal preschool. It's a big, big price tag. So we know we can't get it done this year. But again, it's about taking incremental steps along the way to move much closer to that goal. And so, where where are we on uh, single payer health care? Where do you anticipate that coming uh, to the to the assembly this year to the legislature? Well, going well it's interesting because the the what what we what we did is last year in the budget we set up a, a task force to really look at this issue. We um, had assembly members uh, Wood and uh, Doctors Woods and Arambula really study this issue. The 
speaker and the pro tem and the governor at that point, we put together a commission that is really going to solely focus on single payer. So the, the commission hasn't been um, filled yet. The spots haven't been filled. But I anticipate once they get filled, they're going to spend a year or two to really hammer out what's the path to single payer. So we, we shouldn't expect anything this year. No, there, there's nothing in the budget this year. And I don't, I don't think there's uh, money that's set aside. The challenges is that, again, I, I think someone once said healthcare is complicated. And so <laughs> yes. the, the idea is, <laughs> like is a person that, became president. But. Yes, yes. Um, so, so again, you know, th- these, are, these are very uh, intricate issues. And so, you know, the idea is actually fairly simple. But the way we get to it is actually rather complex. Right. And, and Newsom said in the uh, State of the State, we took a, a sort of a, a step towards single payer. That's right. With some of the things we, he was Which is what about. we said last year. That we thought we thought going for Medi-Cal expansion to uh, 26-year-olds was a, was a big first step. And we had hoped it could get in the budget. We couldn't get agreement. So we're glad that now we have an ally in the governor's office. On I, this. I want to talk to you about a couple of things uh, that you're working on. But one of the things that, that uh, just jumped into my head was about the future of work, which Newsom also nodded to. Where do you see the legislature stepping in on that? Well, it's going to uh, be very, it's sort of it's a it's a vague term, but it's also uh, a very pressing one because we have uh, you know with all the technological mm-hmm. changes, we have people you know uh, we, whether it's uh, people with, whether we go into McDonald's and there's fewer mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. nobody we can uh, order online. Whether we go to um, uh, there's driverless cars coming, et cetera, et cetera. Where's the legislature looking at? That? The, the, this is probably one of the issues that concerns me the most. Uh, from a larger scale in, in the issues around income inequality, where we've had pretty stagnant wage growth over the last 10 to 20 years, especially for the middle class. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, people feel like they're working more and their earning power is less. So even though their dollars are more, what, what they can buy is actually less because the cost of living has just skyrocketed all around California. Everywhere where there's a job center, rents have grown, You know, the cost of transportation has grown, all the basic all the basics of life have really grown. Healthcare has grown. Mm-hmm. So the, the biggest challenge is trying to figure out how do we put more earnings power into the middle class. And, and I think what, what um, Governor Newsom talked about, which we've been championing, we've been championing the earned income tax credit for the last four years. We mm-hmm. worked with Governor Brown to create it four years ago. Mm-hmm. We increased it and expanded it to self-employed workers and, and also um, – uh, people people who um, didn't have uh, weren't employees technically employees so uh, again his idea of expanding the earned income tax credit I think makes a lot of sense one we of do, the most uh, uh, valuable tools that low income people can have you're, a- you're giving them a, a, a credit a- absolutely and, and and the biggest challenge is is that many of these people don't have to pay taxes so what do they do they don't file taxes and they don't realize there's actually a, a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollar check waiting for them yeah. if they just file the taxes in fact they don't they don't have to pay we're we're, we're, we're trying to pay them so um, but but overall this this idea of trying to figure out how do we get working Californians more money the Republicans had an idea that this, this would trickle down with this corporate tax break. What we've seen is after this corporate tax break, almost zero wage growth. And and we have very small wage growth, even though unemployment is at almost an all-time low in California. It's barely 2% in San Francisco. So again, we need to find ways that we can um, increase earned income tax credit. One of the big challenges with with Governor Newsom's proposal is that he, again, uh, wants to fund that with a tax increase with the vote of the legislature. Now, the, now the legislature traditionally, um, to, to increase taxes has been a huge monumental step. 
And so all of these proposals that we've done, even putting on, even increase, increasing the gas tax, uh, again, that, that faced a mm-hmm. repeal this last election cycle. Yes. Every time there's a two-thirds vote to increase taxes, it's a huge undertaking. And if you look within the budget, within Governor Newsom's budget proposal, whether it's a water tax or the uh, tax conformity to fund EITC, there, there's about six or um, seven. Six or seven. Six or seven tax yeah. increase proposals. Now, some, some of them are kind of benign. There's an increase for the 911 fee. But, but again, we tried for the last two years to increase the 911 fee, and we're not successful. So there's six or seven things that the legislature have to get a two-thirds vote on. And, and, and for, you know, when people hear that the, oh, there's a two, uh, you know, super majority of Democrats in the legislature, they're not all uh, San Francisco progressives. Well, that, that, that's my reminder, that's, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was telling your, your old colleague, Melanie Gutierrez, when she wrote the article after the election. Yeah. Again, we don't have... We don't, we don't mention Melody's sorry, name anymore. You know, sorry. Since she went the LA Times. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we kid, we kid. Um, you know, but we don't have 61 Democrats to go raise taxes. We don't have 61 San Francisco Democrats. And, that, and, that, that, and that's a major thing. So, so many of these things we tried to do also on a bipartisan level too. So again, 911 is something that Every community uses it. Doesn't it's not just Democratic communities use right. that uh, service. So it's important that all of us vote to support that 911 service, which we see is extremely critical. So, so again, 911 and clean drinking water were two things we've tried over the last two years to get across the finish line and have not. And it's equally challenging this year, or do you think you have a better shot? I, I think it is equally challenging this year because wow. um, you know things have changed a little bit. But, but again, we want to see both of those proposals have bipartisan support. And of those six or seven, do you, how many of those do you think can actually become law? If, if you could do um, one, one two-thirds vote or maybe two two-thirds votes in a session, in a two-year session, those are already huge accomplishments. Wow. And which, now, what do you think easiest, has the best chance? The easiest one is one I haven't talked about, which is the managed care organization tax Um which is which is there to fund different healthcare expenditures, that I think um, may have the best shot because the, uh, the the business community would probably come out in support of that. So that that's what happened last time when we when we renewed it a couple of years ago. There was significant bipartisan support, and so that one actually um, that actually was easier to pass out of all of them. Okay. Um, let's talk about a couple of things you're working on. You're always working on very sort of leading edge things. Uh, one of the things you're working on is eliminating paper receipts. Yes. And, and I must congratulate you with the best <laughs> photo op so far this year where you had one of your aides dressing up as a giant paper receipt. He was a tall guy. Was he a tall guy or standing no, on he a chair? No, he was, he's on a pretty tall chair. Yes. Okay. He's in a tall chair. Okay. <laughs> yes, so he's a yes. giant like six foot yes. paper receipt. Did you take him out to dinner or anything for the after after doing that? No, no, he he's he actually he, he he volunteered and actually he has to borrow for Halloween. So 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 the <laughs> it's a great Halloween costume. Well, that's that's actually how we first saw it. One of my aides saw someone wear this as a Halloween costume last year on Instagram, and then as we got into the issue, we were shocked. I actually have a meeting with the um, paper manufacturers. I was shocked to find out, you know, the paper is manufactured with BPA. BPA oh, really? is this toxic chemical yeah. that we got out of baby bottles. Yeah. yeah. Every receipt, 94%, not every receipt, oh my 94% God. of receipts. To, yeah. So I think when you get your next receipt, you should wear a glove <laughs> to grab it because your hands- I'm the backseat of my car right yeah, now. It's yeah, full of BPA. Yes. Yes. Hopefully you don't have any kids sticking it in their no, mouth. No, they're, um, they're beyond that. But, but, it's, but it's toxic. These are toxic receipts. They're not recyclable and they're not compostable. 
Oh, so really? if, you put them, if you put them in the compost bin, they contaminate your compost because it's no. a toxic chemical. You, you might as well, it might as well put kerosene in compost. Oh. So, so again, th- this is something that, you know, we, we first started when, when we started researching, the story just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, on top of it, paper receipts are totally unnecessary. For, for most people right now. Some people, they, they like to have the paper. They, yeah. they like to have security. What, what about my mom? So well, who does? It was t- entirely off the grid. She doesn't, you know, what is she? She wants the paper. She, and she will she, look at it and say, can, why am I paying 17 cents tax? No, well, there's, there's no tax. It basically just yeah. says the the default should be an e-receipt, but yeah. you can get a paper receipt upon request. Now, we've okay. done that with water. Right. You, you don't get drinking water at a restaurant unless you ask for it. Mm-hmm seems like pretty simple. It's a nice way to conserve water. So, of course, if you want water, yes. you get it. We did the same thing last year with straws. You don't get a straw unless you absolutely have it. So, again, we're not taking the right away. We're just we're just asking you to opt in rather than um, – we're forcing you to opt into it rather than opt out of it. So, okay. So what, what are the chances of that getting anywhere? You know, we, you know, at this point, it seems like a pretty favorable. Okay. Again, this is something that's modeled after – plastic straws, which mm-hmm. which had a, you know, again, a fairly similar pattern. Yeah. And I think once people understand that, one, the receipts are, the paper's toxic, right. and they're not recyclable or compostable, that that is really going to change. Oh, my God. And then, the, what was it, the Target receipt? My God. You know, if you ever go to Target, yes. you the receipt, I mean, yes. can make a mummy costume out you, of you that. You know, we, we put on Instagram, my my staff was very nice. They got me a birthday card um, <laughs> a, a couple, uh, last week, which was my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. And, um, Again, we bought only one birth. They only bought one birthday card, but they got a five foot receipt. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So is that is that really Very is nice. that really necessary? <laughs> so so again, to your to your mom, to, to to your mom, she could get a you know a one inch receipt, but does she really need five feet? She of does toxic not need paper? a five foot receipt. Yes. Yes. Uh, one other thing I want to talk to you about: uh, you're a uh, also on the leading edge of a lot of green initiatives. You have um, you've introduced a bill uh, in this uh, in January. That requires all vehicles, all registered in the state of California, after January 1, 2040, to be zero emissions vehicles. So, so that was that was a, a bill that I introduced last year. We didn't was able to move. So this year we have a more intermediate step bill. So the, this bill AB 40 is asking the Air Resources Board to develop a plan to get us there. Uh, what, a lot of the push. This is, I'm sorry. This is so. This is to, to, for a plan. That's not this a requirement. Right. Okay. It's not a requirement. Okay. We started last year with the requirement. There's a lot of pushback, a lot of concern. How do we do it? So, so we're, we're basically delegating the Air Board, who, who really has authority of this, to, to tell us how do we get there? How many charging stations do we need? How many maker models would we really need to right. have out there? And, and again, this is 22 years away from that. We're not talking next year to really get us to that path. If you look at almost every car company, whether it's General Motors, uh, Volvo, Nissan, BMW, Mercedes, uh, General, you know, General Motors, Tesla, they're all talking about electrifying their fleet. In, in fact, Volvo's made a commitment to completely electrify their entire fleet. So it's yeah. not going to be um, – now, that's not going to be completely all electric. Some of them will be plug-in hybrids. But yes. again, taking that step. Uh, General Motors has talked about doing two-thirds of their fleet. Ford's talked about doing at least a third to half their fleet. So, again, every company is already moving in the direction. What we want to do is pretty much set a deadline. And, and the reason that is is we've set very aggressive greenhouse gas reduction goals, which are already law. These have passed. Mm. 
we're not going to reach those goals unless we do something about the transportation sector. 40% of greenhouse gas emissions comes from transportation. It's the only sector that's actually increasing. We've done so well in terms of energy and cleaning up our electricity grid and making it greener. We've done a really poor job around transportation, and it's the only sector that's going up in greenhouse gas emissions. At the same time, 80% of that transportation sector is you and me. It's passenger vehicles. It's not, everyone thinks it's FedEx, it's the big rigs, it's the UPS drivers. It's not. It's just everyday passenger vehicles driving to and from work, going to the supermarket, dropping people off at school. So imagine if we were able to take most of those cars and turn them into clean cars. It would drastically change our environment. Right. It would, and also we would have to build up uh, the massive infrastructure of charging stations and and more incentives to buy uh, green. Because that's why we bought a a plug-in vehicle because uh, of the incentives. Otherwise, I was I wouldn't spend that money. And so I have another bill to really create incentives similar to the uh, solar program to really have high incentives and then ramp them down. Yeah. Because right now the incentive is flat in the states, twenty five hundred, and so you can buy this year, you can buy next year, you can buy the year after, and the incentive's the same. So you really don't have any incentive to move today. What we want to do is have a higher incentive today and a lower incentive tomorrow. The other big concern is that one of the biggest incentives is a $7,500 tax credit you get from the federal government. For Tesla and General Motors, that's going to be going away because they've hit their limit. It was based on a certain volume. So if you want to buy a Tesla, it's going to be already too late. This year, it's already too late to get that $7,500 tax credit. Oh, darn. I wasn't buying a Tesla. Probably can't afford a Tesla. (laughs) I can't can't afford a Tesla. Who am I kidding? Um, And one of the quick question about green. There was a a story in this paper the other day about uh, solar. uh, The the, um, solar panels going down. Yes. Are you concerned about that? Is that is that a harbinger of something bad? Is is sale of uh, solar panels going down? Well, it's obviously a concern. I mean, we we do have a new um, new new edict where. All new, all new homes are going to are required to have solar panels on them, so uh, that that is a concern. But from a from a macro level, we've done such a great job of building out clean energy and really greening our grid mm-hmm. that that's not a concern from a from an overall level because our energy consumption and our our energy laws are moving toward one hundred percent renewable. So that's not a harbinger or something bad. Okay. And one of the things uh, in terms of housing, we didn't cover this, was that you have a bill to make accessory dwelling units easier to build in uh, San Francisco. These are granny, granny in-law flats, um, in-law units and backyards. And this is uh, seen as one of the solutions to the housing crisis. Many in San Francisco here in the Sunset and the Richmond. Um, where is where is that at and, and how would that help? So, so as part of a I, – I did this – I did that bill last year as well as a bill uh, – as well as a bill on allowing affordable housing developers a first right of refusal for public land. So when public land is going up for sale, mm-hmm. affordable housing developers get the first right of refusal. Uh, now, now those two bills are going to be part of this overall CASA package. CASA was a coalition of government, developers, um, realtors – labor unions talking about what they could do Bay Area-wide to really uh, stem and fight this housing crisis. So these are two bills of part of that larger 
package around Bay Area housing. So uh, again, this is it just starting. It got it got pretty far along. It got stuck on the Senate floor, but we anticipate pretty pretty smooth sailing. We got the bill uh, pretty far, and there wasn't that much policy agreement. What happened is, is there was some uh, inter-house squabbling between the Assembly and the Senate, and that's really why the bill had problems, not, not because of policy. But basically, what the bill does is streamline the development of accessory dwelling units so that cities can't stop it. So San Francisco streamlined that process to make them legal. Give us an example of how that would work like in the sunset. Well, well, well basically, not, not so much in the sunset because in San Francisco, we've already streamlined that. But some, some cities, they require a certain lot size. So the city of Arcadia says, hey, if you don't have a, a huge lot, then you cannot build this accessory dwelling units, which is basically uh-huh. outlawing it throughout most of the city. Mm-hmm. So many of the cities are are having minimum lot sizes or they're or they're not they're not approving them. So we're saying, hey, as long as this is, you know, eight hundred square feet or less, it's a certain size, certain structure, and it kind of fits within your city guidelines, you have to approve it. We're not allowing you to reject it. And because frankly we think this is one of the fastest ways to develop housing units. And again, most of these units are being used for family members. They're used being used right. for children, they're being used for parents. Uh, again, um, very, very cheap, affordable housing that can be quickly built. Uh, we think it's a great solution. And one of the many solutions that we need to tackle around housing. All right. So I'm Phil Ting. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to be here, Joe. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Assemblyman Phil Ting for coming in today. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing today's podcast. And remember, if you can only take a train from Bakersfield to Madeira, or you're waiting in San Francisco at a $2 billion bus station to nowhere, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.